Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, welcome to the quarantine podcast here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Usually this would be Chris Williams bringing in the in the pod, but Chris is feeling a little under the weather right now. He'll be back next week and and ready to go but we do have brent bloom here what's up my brother it's been a what's while up, since i talked to you how was the weekend it was good went down to clorinda went to a wedding so that was uh that was always an exciting experience how many cakes well so you know because of the because of the covid there's no yeah, the we keg, can't do kegs right now yeah can't do kegs right now but um i would imagine that the amount of beer consumed was over 20 cases. <laughs> so how does a wedding work during the, the pandemic? Was it pretty normal? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, I didn't go to the actual ceremony. I sure. only went to uh, to the reception. Uh, I'm not important enough to get invited to the actual ceremony. But um, I mean, yeah, it was <laughs> you would never realize that there's a global pandemic going on right now, to be completely honest, if you I mean, if you didn't know, I mean, there's probably more than a hundred people there. So, wow. Wow. Yeah. Now you're, you're kind of entering, was this a friend of yours or a relative? Because you're yeah, kind of a, entering for, wedding season time. Right. Uh, your age. Now you're at the early stages yeah. and where I'm at the back end, but there's, um, you know, you get used to these, you, you're going to start having three or four of these this summer. Yeah. I was thinking about that. The, so this is a kid that I went to high school with, um, he got married to another girl from Southwest Iowa, but, uh, and I was sitting there thinking, I was like, man, you know, there's been a handful of kids from my high school class that have gotten married. Uh, none of them have really been my close friends. None okay. of my close friends are anywhere close to getting married besides my friend life. Who's getting married in January. And I was like, after that, I know you're right, but I don't know when the next wedding I would go to is because nobody I know is even close to getting married. Huh? It, it's weird. It like, 20 age 27 to about 31 it's like your weekends are a lot of times dependent on weddings and so a little tip because you probably haven't been a groomsman yet no no i haven't so a couple things um number one 
It's fun to be responsible for the bachelor party, but not that fun because it's actually a lot of responsibility. Uh, number two, when you get the, the tuxes, I highly recommend bringing another change of clothes to the, to the uh, celebration, the party, rather than your tuxedo. Because what, what's happened to me, and I'm sure other people listening, is you have enough to drink that you forget that the usually the groom's parents need to return those tuxedos the next day. And it's sometimes a handful. And there's a lot of pieces to those tuxedos. You got to keep track of them all. So it's a good idea to, to take another uh, another pair of clothes to the party. A little tip number two. The number three, um, you know, it's you got you just got to be there for your for your brother. But that's about it. So I mean, you're, you'll probably be groomsmen multiple times here in the next couple couple of years. Yeah, I'm the best man in my friend in Leif's wedding, uh, and I'm terrified. Are you responsible for the party? For the uh, party? Uh, no, not not really. Um, I kind of agreed to pass that off just because the other guys that are in the in the wedding all live up in Minnesota where he does, and so it would it was going to be easier for everybody to coordinate. You know, if they coordinated themselves, and then they would tell me what I needed to do. And I just said, yeah, I'm, I mean, the less that I have to do planning anything, the, the better, because I, I don't want to have to do it. So it's cool. You're, hey, you're, you're already ahead of the game here. Right. I mean, it, at the end of the day, I know that uh, my friends probably know that if there's anybody who's going to be able to stand up under pressure and give a speech, that I might be uh, one of the best candidates for that. So I think as much as anything, I was made the best man on the fact that he trusted me as as much as anybody else to uh, to stand up in front of everybody and and not embarrass them. I, I gave the keys to my bachelor party to Williams, and uh, still a tough. decision I regret to this day. I think I've heard some stories about that night. <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, you did. Yeah. You won't hear any today. No, not going to hear any today. <laughs> but uh, I, isn't that a, a point of contention on some level still, even now? How it many is. years later? Yeah, it that's is. what I thought. There, there, there happened to be a, a trip to. Uh, Northeast 14th Street, a special location that, uh, you know, still discussed to this day. Oh, man. Before we get too far into this, we need to give a quick shout out to uh, this week's Cyclone Fanatic Super Patron. That goes to Gavin Scroggin. Gavin told us he decided to become a super patron due to the need for local journalism. He said, quote, I believe in CW's vision for Cyclone Fanatic and CF is always the go-to for Cyclone-related news, podcasts, and updates. I was glad to be able to support it as a super patron and look forward to getting to know more Cyclone fans through patron events. Thank you, Gavin. And as a reminder, if you're interested in becoming a, a premium subscriber, check out the incentives, including shout-outs and inside information at cyclonefanatic.com. Appreciate all of our patrons for uh, helping us here during this very difficult time for journalism uh, across the country. And uh, it seems like that is never ending at this point where people are losing their jobs or whatever it is. Yeah. And speaking of support, so the quarantine podcast, and we're doing this remotely today, Jared, mm -hmm. uh, but normally I'm over in C-Dub's home office and we have a, you know, a glass of bourbon alongside. And actually one of our patrons and supporters, my guy Brant from down in Atlanta, decided to send Williams and I three bottles of bourbon that are from some of his favorites from down there. Uh, and he sent them by mail to me this week. And I couldn't wait for the first quarantine podcast. So I broke some open last night for Father's Day and uh, had me some Jefferson's, I think it was single barrel 
uh, or small batch, excuse me, and it was delicious. So thanks, Brent. He's the world's largest Larry Eustachie fan. <laughs> the guy just loves Larry Ball and really appreciate him. Uh, and, and, and he he was happy to have the, the cycling content down there in, in the ATL. So uh, appreciate that very much. Dude, have I ever showed you the Larry Ball t-shirt that I found in a thrift store? No. On the south side of Des Moines? Yeah. It's phenomenal. I'll have to send you a picture of it. It's phenomenal. I, I'm surprised I didn't send it to you right away because it's truly one of the great finds that I've ever made in my life. Uh, do you, have you worn it or do you just have it like yeah, in honor? I, I've worn it before. Uh, it's not a very high quality shirt. I feel like <laughs> there was a point in like the mid 2000s where we started thinking like, man, we should stop making t-shirts out of really, you know, <laughs> rough and crappy material and start making them soft and comfortable to wear. But this was, this was pre, this was pre that, <laughs> yeah, this was pre that, that shift. So, uh, it's not exactly the most, um, comfortable shirt. But That's it, awesome. Here I have it. I guess I have it right here sitting in my, yeah, I, in my bedroom. It says, it says, def, uh, defense rebound and score equals win. <laughs> That's fantastic. It literally is Larry Ball. Yeah. Oh, that's a beauty. Yeah, I found that for two dollars uh, at a thrift store on the south side. Uh, I'm guessing my guy Brant has one of those, and if not, he'll be very jealous. Tell him I'll uh, I'll part with it for a price. So. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Oh, that's good stuff. But man, it's uh so so Brant was one of the few, and he's proud to tell me this. So there was a protest for Larry. Uh, for him to keep his job when all this the shenanigans were going down, and I know you did the you know the episode mm-hmm. of the uh, the Cycle Fanatic podcast on Larry, but uh, Brant was has been a pro Larry guy and has the pictures from the protest to prove it. Yeah, uh, I think the other one that I remember seeing that was there was uh, Hiawatha Rutland, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Indeed. I read a lot of the news stories from that, and I mean some of the. Like there were people that they would quote in them that were, it was just like, man, where it was names that I'd almost even recognize sometimes. And I was like, man, this is who knew that 20 years later, almost, you know. Right. Like, and that was a, I mean, it, it was a huge story at the time. And you wonder, you know, that was what, 17 years ago now, but mm-hmm. um, what the attention would be now for one. And then number two, you know, that they, they went to beer cheer, like they protested in front of the president's office. It was a quite a unique deal. Um, and I, I do wonder, you know, if the time is right, whenever that is, if Larry will ever be re-embraced, so to speak, uh, by Iowa State as an entity. I know the fans, I think the the fans largely are on Larry's side still. I think he's got a lot of fans in the fan base. Um, but will Iowa State ever recognize him, you know, in regards to, you know, some of the Hall of Fame stuff or otherwise? I know he's been back for some of the he came back for that 100 years of Iowa State basketball deal and maybe one other time but we'll see now that he's fully retired if he ever comes back to Ames yeah that was that was something I was I was just gonna say you kind of brought it up there but I know that the fans would probably embrace him it's just like would the school I mean the one positive is that all of those people are gone correct that were a part of that and someday I'll be able to tell my story that uh, is one of the most surreal thing that's ever happened to me from talking to some of the people that were here at that time. But yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Just, I would think that this, if they were ever going to honor some of those guys, this next season would be the perfect time to do it. 
you know, I mean, assuming that there's fans in the stands and stuff like that, but uh, it would be the 20th anniversary of the 2001 team. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, when's like the last time, has Jamal Tinsley been to a game since his career ended? I don't think he's been to a game. I know he came back, what was that, two summers ago yeah. for the reunion. Well, I, and I was there and he got, he got emotional just walking in the building. Like you're right now. That's a great point, Jared. Is they have really never recognized that team as a whole. For I mean, there was two Big Twelve championships regular season, both under Larry. And I don't, I don't know if that's because of Larry's rocky relationship with how it ended. Um, if it's been hard, it's sometimes hard to get those guys back to begin with. I mean, you're dealing with people that are literally all over the country. And up to like two years ago, Stevie Johnson was still playing professional basketball, which is pretty wild. Um, but you, those, in my opinion. To this day, even all the Fred teams, those were the best Iowa State teams I've seen. And you're right, you're running out of time at, at year 20 here for the, the second Big 12 title to recognize some of those players. So would be an interesting time to do it. Yeah, maybe not great if there's if it's a half-filled arena, but gosh, that's making me feel old though, man. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's, it, it is, it's crazy to think that it's been 20 years, but I... I just feel like that's always been like a topic of conversation about trying to honor them or wearing like throwback uniforms or something like that. There you and go. You just never even, I, I never even hear anything about it, at least from the school side of things. Maybe they've tried and it just doesn't work out. But I mean, we know like Marcus Pfizer wouldn't, I would imagine he wouldn't be opposed to coming back. You know, no. he's obviously I mean, very active in the Cyclone Twitter sphere and stuff like that. Well, and you've seen guys hit and miss. I mean, uh, Walters did an interview that was really good, actually, with Mike Nurse from those teams. Now, he was on the first team and not the second team, but Cantrell's been involved a little bit, Cantrell Horton. And then Paul Shirley, I'm sure, he, I mean, he's been active. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily a fan of Eustachie, so maybe that's point of contention. But there are some guys who have been back here and there. Um, but you're right, I don't think Jamal has been back in Hilton since he left, which is really a disappointment because, to my memory... Let me just do a quick fact check. He never lost in Hilton Coliseum. Yeah, I think that that's I think that's right. Never lost in Hilton Coliseum and never lost in um, in Allen Fieldhouse. That's right. Just another gym. Well, did he? Was that game that they lost to Drake that year? Was he, that at the Nap Center? It was at the Nap Center. Yeah, and it's. I mean, think about that. That year, and Drake was awful. Right? I mean, they were just not good at all. Tinsley has 11 turnovers and, and the fan base is thinking, who is this bum? And yet turns out to be probably the best point guard, arguably. I still think talent wise, probably I'll give him a little bit of a nod over Monte. But um, yeah, that's that that season started off horribly losing at Drake. And I think they put up 45 points is all in that opener. And just thinking the message boards, if that would have happened now, uh, and it turned out to be the greatest team, at least in my lifetime in cycling history. Man, it's crazy to just think about them going to play Drake at the Nap Center. <laughs> yeah, I mean they they never have done that since I've been. They've never even gone to the to Cedar Falls since I've been covering the the team. And what? I mean, anybody who was on our Zoom call last week knows, you know, some inside information on that uh, whole situation with those with those schools and the Big Four Classic and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, it it's wild to think that they there was a time when they they did that just because i i never even saw it yeah and you're man that so the last when what of the last road game to one of those schools been because the first big big four was 2012 i want to say yeah so, so 
2011. Well, didn't they? Didn't Royce's team lose to them? Maybe. Did he? Royce's team did. Yep, he did down in Des Moines. Yeah. So that was the last one. So that would have been the Royce's year was uh, November of 11. Right. Yeah, man, that's. That that's guys, it's almost been a decade since they've gone to you and I or Drake. Although it makes you wonder, and like you said, Micah Byers brought this up in our Zoom call, at least some of the history uh, around it. But with the impact that you know this will have on budgets, if some of these schools look to travel more regionally, well, uh, I saw that Nebraska games, announced and, that. But that that may not be Iowa State going to Drake necessarily. But will Drake and you and I have to consider coming back to? Hilton and Carver Hawkeye, I think they would have to. Yeah, and I, like I said, I saw that Nebraska announced that they're going to do a lot of their schedule more regionally uh, than what they usually do. I mean, I think, I think it's a smart thing to do, honestly. And and the reality is that, you know, I know the downsides of it. Like I, I understand, I understand where there's there is some level of a negative, you know possibility if you don't win that game but it just it creates so much more buzz for the game in the state than what playing you know grambling or florida a&m or whoever it might be does and you know sometimes you might lose but that's kind of what makes it fun (laughs) like that's what kind of makes the whole rivalry and the whole experience fun sure sure and i think uh you know the issue here is is a lot of times it's availability of games i mean they're really if you think about it now, you know, Iowa State's got the multi-team events. They've got the scheduled games for the SEC Challenge. They have the scheduled game with Iowa. And then they're adding, what are they adding this year? Is there a There's the Big, Big East, East game? Or that was last yeah. year. Last year, yeah. So really you're down to about five or six of those other non-conference games. And coaches obviously are in the job of making the tournament. And so is that a risk they want to take? I agree. It's better for the state and it's better for uh, competitive basketball, but they're also trying to get that win total up too when you're playing 18 games in the conference schedule and the Big Ten's playing 20 now. So I understand it to an extent, but I also think it's unfortunate because those games have become less and less interesting. Those four or five non-conference games, you're not, and you're not getting any real home and homes either with anybody else. They're just kind of those buy games and you know, maybe that's just part of the business. You need those games to, in order for everything else to exist. But I don't, I, I, I would be for absolutely uh, you and I or Drake, at least maybe every other year being one of those games. Yeah. All right. On the note of competitive basketball, the uh, situation with the NBA continues to develop just about every day. And you and I remain two of the inaugural card carrying members of the NBA fan club in the state of Iowa. Two of the original uh, 11, now we're up to 19. Yeah, man, I, I think we might even be over 20 now. Oof. I'll be honest. Well, the pandemic might have impacted that, but maybe once uh, July 29th comes along, it'll increase again. So, man, this thing about people, how many guys do you think are going to go play? Like, realistically, from what we've been able to see, do you think that there will be a lot of guys who don't go play? No. I don't think so either. I mean, the one today, I mean, it, it became a story and it really wasn't, in my opinion, Davis Bertans. Yeah, I was going to say that we should lead the podcast with that. <laughs> Breaking news in the NBA. Davis Bertans not going to play for the Wizards. His was a more of a, a of an account of just sitting out because he's had two ACL injuries and didn't want to risk his contract, which is smart. I mean, the guy's going to get paid. 
and he's Davis Bertans. So and the wizard might stink. as well not risk it. <laughs> the wizard stink. But, so it's just like, why? You know, <laughs> not even worth it. It's not because they're not they're not gonna they're not gonna be involved here, and so he he might as well just park it. And I think Washington was supportive because they want to re-sign the guy to a bigger deal. Um, but really, once this gets closer, these guys at the end of the day are really competitive, and the the urge to play and to try and win something will supersede some of the other concerns. And you know they still have time. I mean they're not going to report to Orlando until I think it's July tenth. They have their times to get kind of their voice heard here. But once push comes to shove, I really believe these guys will be amped and ready to go. And I think, Jared, I'm actually excited for this. It's going to be weird. It's going to mm-hmm. be awkward uh, with no fans. But I think the setup from a competition-wise will be fascinating. And we'll have really good basketball for every day for, you know, two and a half months. And they're going to try and play five to six games a day. I think they're going to line them up TV-wise. So you have back-to-back-to-back-to-back. And it's going to be wild to watch. It's like an AAU tournament, but with the highest stakes possible. Well, yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. It, it's almost like if they took the combine and just that setting where there's just nobody there. Yep. It, I mean, I think it'll be weird maybe the first game. And then after a little bit, you're just like, man, they're just going to play ball, you know? And, man, that's I just think we need that. And especially with what you see happening with baseball right now, I think basketball has an opportunity to – um, kind of harness some more of that moment, like take some more momentum and continue to grow their uh, stake in the American sports foothold. And I don't know, man, like I think that this is going to give an opportunity for some more people that maybe wouldn't normally be uh, introduced to some of the personalities that aren't playing for the big teams, you know, where I mean, we all know why they did the thing with the Western Conference where they're going to play those regular season games. They had to figure out a way to get Zion there, you know, yeah, and yeah. Fi- figure out a way to get Damian Lillard there. And there's so many guys that everybody knows about that are at the top teams, and they're always on national television and stuff like that. Uh, but there's a lot of teams out there, too, that have some fun players that we don't really get to see that much. And now when, like, everything is wide open – I feel like it'll open the door for some of these personalities to get to shine through more even than what they normally would. No, I, I agree. I think that's a, a great point. Although it's going to be so fast. I mean, there's only eight regular season games and they're going to play them in like, what, 10 days? Yeah. So, I mean, some of those fringe teams, they better. I, I, the NBA is probably extremely hopeful that New Orleans makes the playoffs because that would be a big win for them. I don't. I haven't even looked at the standings where they're at. Um, and they're all within like one or two games, I think, of each so, other. I know they're, but they would that would really help out. And then the playoffs, as I understand, would be completely normal as as most as they can from a game standpoint. So you know, all the playoff rounds will match what they have been in the past, and it's going to be a chance. You're right because baseball's really mangled their effort. I don't want to get into all the details. Chris and I have talked about it a little bit last week, and then football's far enough away that the NBA has a chance to really capture, especially going right into the playoffs, and the NHL to an extent too, where, you know, baseball screw this up. And then, you know, some of the other sports, you know, NASCAR and golf will have their following, but they are what they are, where the NBA has a chance to have the sprint, this last eight games, right into the playoffs. And it's going to be super competitive. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. And I think the ratings will be absolutely insane. 
And it, I know they had a little bit of a upheaval from the players you know, the last seven to 10 days, but I think everybody's going to be on board. And I think maybe more importantly, Jared, is their bubble will work. Mm-hmm. And so they won't have this concern. I mean, you may have a, a guy or two that tests positive, but what football is going to fight, especially college football, is as these waves of players get COVID, it, it's going to add to the storyline where I think in the NBA, it's going to be obviously when they first start, you know, are, are, there, any, are there any cases? But once you get in the playoffs, I think the game will be the story, which is very critical as well. Yeah, and I, my whole thing with the with all the, I mean, not all of the guys, the handful of guys that that started speaking out last week, and you know, kind of questioning things, is it just felt really oddly timed to me, yeah. and it wasn't like. I mean, I, I understand maybe that Kyrie Irving had more time to sit and think about it or something like that. But for one, it's nothing like I, I'm sure Kyrie is a smart guy, but Kyrie has said a lot of crazy things that I don't know that, that if I was a rank and file player, he would be the guy that it's like, yeah, this is the one that I want his voice to be front and center on this. Sure. Uh, that's why I think that they got mocked a little bit I mean specifically him was just because it he has said so many ridiculous things in the past that and it, and for one has been an asshole a lot of times and about everywhere that he's been and it's just like all of a sudden you're like man now Kyrie cares about everybody else and and that, that just was odd to me you know and I don't want to take away from what the point of it was because I I mean i I can see their I can see their point in what he was talking about but it was just like I was like man why didn't you bring this up last week when you went and voted to agree to this now you kind of are past the point of no return you can't really turn around and say no we're not going to go play now yeah I think you're dead on it was almost trying to bring himself back into the spotlight in a way and and from all, all accounts he was a very passionate phone call that he had with these hundred other players and it was productive and all that stuff but you're right it at that point you know the the, the cart was ahead of the horse like there was no turning back it's almost like he was trying to rescue the limelight for just a little bit but i am surprised jared how quickly that kind of went away mm-hmm. um in the narrative i mean it's, now it's kind of more focused on okay how we could actually keep this bubble uh, protected and less about Kyrie and some of the players' concerns, which, you know, that that mo- that news cycle has moved very fast, and we'll see what happens. But I think, yeah, if you had, let's say, uh, you know, Chris Paul, who's one of the player union reps, he's or, a player, he's the president you know, of the players' union, yeah, president, yep, or even LeBron voice those concerns. I think that's a way bigger story. But because of Kyrie's history, uh, as fair as that is or not to him, and even Dwight Howard, I saw chimed in a couple times again. Not a guy with the best history as far as um, voicing his concerns, I think would have been taken a little bit differently. Man, I heard you guys, I was listening to you guys last week when you were talking about Dwight, and I I can't remember exactly what it was you said, but I think you said something along the lines of him being a borderline Hall of Famer. Dude, yeah. that guy, he is a Hall of Famer. Like, okay, I'm glad you in, agree. In, I think he is. In, in my mind, I mean, there, I don't think there's any doubt about it. He, he was would like, get some pushback, but he had for a seven-year stretch there. He was the best big man in the game. Yeah, and think how—I mean, I know you were close to those Magic teams, and they had some nice players. Like, don't get me wrong, 
but he carried a team to the NBA Finals that never should have been in the NBA Finals. Right. And I will, they, they should have been more competitive in those finals too, if not for Courtney Lee blowing a layup. <laughs> I'm not yeah. bitter 11 years later at all, but it's fine. But he was, when he came into the league, he was such a physical specimen and was just like completely raw. But by the time it got to be like 2008, 2009, 2010, I mean, his, he was like the last pure, po- like pure post player, you know? And yeah. And he was like the original unicorn, the way that he could run, uh, how athletic he was, how well he could block shots and how and just how good his touch was around the rim. He couldn't do anything else. But it was like every time that they came down on offense, you knew where the ball was going. And half the time you couldn't stop him anyway. Yeah, he was a little robotic. I mean, I think his efficiency was still okay, but he wasn't uh, Hakeem Olajuwon or Patrick Ewing. You know, those really classic low post guys who could, you know, do, you know, head and shoulder fake and, and make it look pretty or even a Chuck Barkley. Uh, but he was really mechanical and robotic and it never looked natural with him. I think people docked him for that because he was a robot, but it still was effective. And that guy, I mean, the amount of dunks he had from about 07 to 12 was just insane. I mean, he would have a couple of days you're like, man. And then obviously I would have to stand next to him, which is unfortunate for me. But he was a huge, huge man, and you're right. He was extremely athletic and ran the floor as well as a guard. And when he was healthy, uh, that guy was just an absolute force. And it's unfortunate that some of the back injuries hindered him, you know, from 12 to 18. So I'm glad for him that he's had a little bit of a resurgence here at the Lakers because I think it's a little redeeming for his story. And he'll be fourth fiddle on that Lakers team this playoff run, but he will be at least a story to follow uh, because I think – if you're doing the odds right now, I think it's the Lakers are the clear front runner, especially in this weird bubble setup. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I mean, I think when you've got two of the five best players in the NBA, uh, when it comes time to just be like throw everything else out, yep, no out the window, court. it's all we're doing is hooping. No crowds, no nothing. Man, I mean, I I think that that's where talent's gonna win out. You know, at the end sure. of the day, like. And that's why, for seriously, like that, if the Clippers and Lakers play each other in the Western Conference Finals, that could be some of the best basketball that we're ever going to see. And it'd be, it's unfortunate that it'd be in the front of nobody in the middle of Orlando, but yeah, I think it's going to be great. I think that will be those two teams for sure. Yeah. Um, All right. Uh, There's something that else came to my mind while we were talking, and this was just because I was having a conversation with somebody else the other day, but it's another guy that I think belongs in that hall of fame conversation that doesn't get enough credit and you might think i'm crazy but it's chris bosh yeah yeah i mean he's the third wheel never gets the recognition but he was really good in toronto before he became the third wheel if he wasn't on those heat teams they don't win the title i mean some of the plays that he made he was so important to them you know just definitely especially what he could do spacing the floor against some of those teams that they had to play. And, I mean, he obviously had drew some of the toughest matchups that they had, whether it was in the 11 finals where he was tasked with guarding Dirk Nowitzki for most of the time. It didn't really matter. Nobody could guard him at that point. Uh, but then he was guarding Tim Duncan. And, uh, I mean, I don't know, man. I think I, – I feel like the fact that his career got cut short by the, the health issues kind of – has left him a little bit underrated. Yeah, I would say underrated. I, 
I, when I hear the name Chris Bosch, I don't go, oh, that's a Hall of Famer. But the numbers would say otherwise. And he won, you know, those three championships. So give him credit for that. Or two? Two or three. Two, two, kind of, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, and he, he was on some decent Toronto teams that made the playoffs. I just think he, it, it's forgotten about because his career was cut short and because he was really, you know, a far third behind Wade and, and James. And that's that's kind of the treatment for those guys. But the Hall of Fame for basketball is is weird to begin with. But I, yeah, I think, I mean, well, how much money did that guy make, though? I mean, he probably made close to $200 million. Oh, it's, I don't he, feel bad for Chris Bosh. No, I don't feel bad for Chris Bosh at all. Man, who who knows what could have happened with Chris Bosh's career if TJ, uh, if TJ Ford doesn't almost get murdered on the floor and... Uh, like his rookie season or whatever, they were going to be running mates back in the That's day. That's right. I forget about that Ford Toronto connection. Yeah. Hey, one thing I wanted to mention, just a fun Iowa State connection for those who are watching the NBA um, when it reopens here in July, is the VP, so the head guy for the wide world of sports where all this is happening in Disney, is a Iowa State alum and an Ivy College of Business marketing grad. There you go. There's a plug. How about that? So he's he kind of runs the show and is a part of all the logistical help. And he's uh from small town Iowa, and ended up at Disney is now one of the VPs there. Have you seen some of the ridiculous stuff that was in that guidelines for the, uh, for the bubble? I mean, yeah, they literally not, thought of everything. Yeah, it's not ridiculous, but I mean, it's <laughs> it, it's it where ridiculous. Who, who was it that was sitting there? Like the one that I saw that that made me laugh the most was about the playing cards, where <laughs> uh. After they they play a game with the cards, then they're supposed to throw the deck away. And it notes in there, there will be sufficient amount of decks for everybody to be able to play and then throw them away. And I I was just sitting there thinking like, man, how much is the NBA going to spend just on playing cards? How much money do they spend playing cards is another question. Oh, well, yeah. You don't even want to know. No, playing Blu-ray or whatever they're playing. I I had, so back to Orlando, uh, Dwight Howard would bet his teammates after practice literally thousands of dollars that he would get five chances to hit the backboard from the other side of the court. And he would bet thousands of dollars on this every practice. So their discretionary income is a little bit different than ours. Yeah, there's I I listened to a podcast, Chris Vernon, who who does a podcast for the ringer, but he works for the Grizzlies every Tuesday. He has Tony Allen on. Okay. And, and Tony Allen is like one of the true American treasures. <laughs> uh, if you just want some, to, like he tells some amazing stories. There's one that he did with Kevin Garnett that was absolutely phenomenal. But uh, he tells a story about how he had, oh man, which what was the name of the, uh, uh, I, maybe it was Jeff Green. I can't remember. Okay. No, uh, it was uh, Ed Ed Davis. He they sure. were playing cards one night. And uh, Ed Davis got $20,000 in the hole playing cards. And uh, when Tony asked him if how he wanted to pay up, Ed's like, well, do you want my van? And Tony's like, what are you, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, the van that I, you know, I, I bring to the games. So Ed Davis literally signed Tony Allen, signed his van over to Tony Allen to pay off this debt. And then Tony Allen would drive the van around everywhere. Just like everybody would see him and be like, Tony, whose van is that? He'd say, it's, oh, it's Ed Davis's. I'm just hanging on to it while he's, uh, while he's out of town. And then he turned around and sold it for like $40,000. <laughs> oh man. Different life. Yeah, for sure. 
We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. All right, last thing. Uh, I think it's worth probably discussing the further developments of in the world of college football with um, the ever-shifting landscape of, of COVID-19. Obviously, there's been a handful of stories that have been pretty high-profile here the last couple of days. Kansas State had, I think, 14 student-athletes yep. or football players test positive. LSU had something like 33 test positive after they all went to a nightclub in Baton Rouge, which I don't know if I even want to know what a nightclub in Baton Rouge is like, but uh, I'm sure that it is a hell of a time. And uh, go Tigers. Yeah, go Tigers. Uh, but today, um, I think it was Travis that wrote the story in the, the Des Moines Register uh, with the Story County Health Board. You know, saying that they were probably going to try and get Iowa State to uh, make changes to their plans for having fans in the stands. And I, what do you think about this stuff, man? Like, how, how do I don't even know how to look at it sometimes because I'm like, yeah, we've it's it's been an ongoing dialogue here on the quarantine podcast of what what will happen, what won't happen. This is an interesting development because you have a fairly respected health authority that says. You know, our recommendation is to not have fans and the logic makes sense, right? Like if you have, let's say, even if it's half capacity, so you have, you know, 30,000 people coming from all corners of the state and sitting in the same vicinity, it is really, really difficult then to contact trace because you do not know who these people are around you potentially. It's a little bit different if, you know, students are on campus and I know, okay, I'm around person X, person Y, and person Z, and I can figure that out. So you can, you can maybe, you know, trace a little bit easier. But if you have people coming from all over the corners of the state uh, to Story County, that presents a really logistical challenge of trying to figure out, you know, how to trace this thing. That said, the Story County Health Board does not have authority here, um, and they can provide a recommendation to Iowa State. But ultimately, it's up to Iowa State the Board of Regents and the governor to decide this. And they may have this recommendation, but but Jared, like we talk about on this quarantine podcast, sometimes it comes down to the politics. Mm-hmm. And I'm really curious, what is that threshold that makes a political statement for Iowa State to move here or for the governor to move here? And now, honestly, it's not just going to be an increase of cases in Story County. So I look today and Story County cases are up to 500 total, okay, since the COVID outbreak, but up about 75% in the last two weeks. Well, why is that? Because people are returning to Ames. There's student athletes returning, but there's just people in general are coming back to campus and it's spreading a little bit. There is some community spread um, through extracurricular activities for the students and otherwise. And as students keep coming back, and Iowa State's going to be open for business, I don't think there's any question here for fall classes and students start coming back in numbers, you are going to see the case numbers rise in Story County. But at what point does it become alarming 
And that's what I don't know. And I think you just have to look at, you know, not just raw numbers, but you have to start looking at um, some of the positivity rate and also hospitalizations because raw numbers, you can get really scared by those numbers. And absolutely every, every number is important here, but no matter what, because you're a college campus and you have all these people returning and they're going to test every single Iowa State student that enters the dorms, you're going to have an increase of numbers in Story County in the next six to eight weeks. So, but what is that number that says, okay, we've had enough, we can't have football or we can't have fans? And that's what I don't know. But they're going to have to figure this out soon because you saw Iowa today, a couple of things from the University of Iowa. They announced that nine student athletes have COVID uh, and they tested 40 of them. So that's a pretty high percentage. And then two, they said that they're going to pause all uh, single game ticket sales starting July 1, um, basically thinking that they're not going to be able to fill their stadium past maybe a certain percentage of capacity. So I think right now, we're still at that 50% threshold, and I, and I think we're going to stay there. But I don't know what that tipping point will be to either go to no fans or open it up totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I thought that when Iowa was talking about how they they were working under the assumption that they were going to have the full stadium, I thought that was pretty stupid anyway. But that's just my per, – I mean, that was kind of just my personal opinion. I was like, well, that seems like yeah. you're going to end up being behind the eight ball and trying to figure I, out what you're going to do later down the road. I think it just bought them more time more than anything. Yeah. Was really the plan there. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know, though. I mean, if if the state, by and large, is open – it who is that is it up to Iowa State then to say oh we're only gonna have 50 percent capacity because because we want to protect people I mean who's 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 the authority and who's to blame here for lack of a better word I mean as part of these tickets I think you're you're going to forfeit a right of um a ability to file a a grievance Mm -hmm. or a lawsuit I would guess so Iowa State can't be held responsible if you get COVID at a game but but you know where do you shift where do you shift the responsibility here? And I think this is an important part of the discussion. You know, we're talking about this whole time. We're three months into this quarantine podcast. We're closer to the start of the football season than we are to when we started this. And I don't know. I mean, we're further along in some of the plans and some of the mitigation strategies, but I'm not sure we're as clear as how this whole thing's actually going to work. Like golf has worked great. NASCAR has worked great. Uh, basketball feels like they have a pretty good plan in place. But college football is still a big mystery to me how this all works. And if there's an outbreak, what do we do with quarantine players? What do we do with injury reports? How to report this? There's so many unknowns. Um, and even as fall, fall camp is, you know, six weeks away, five weeks away, how is this all going to work? And I'm about as unclear as ever, as it seems like every time you get an answer, there's two more questions that pop up. Well, and this is what's been so frustrating to me about the whole the whole thing is that I honestly feel like we don't know anything more about, you know, like, I feel like I don't personally know any more about COVID than I did on March 11th when yeah, I was sitting in the hotel room with, not. with Chris Williams. I mean, yeah. and that's, you know, obviously we do, but it just, it feels like things change every day, you know, and it's like, who can you listen to? And uh, you'll see where the CDC will come out and say something or the WHO, WHO will come out and say something the next day. They change their mind and something different. And that just to me is is what has made this so frustrating. And that's why, like, I don't envy anybody who has to try and do this to to figure out a plan to to 
get back to playing or, you know, get back to business because like, how can they have any idea? You know, right. I mean, we, like I pay as much attention to this kind of stuff as anybody and I don't have any idea. And it, that's just what, and when you see, you know, you were talking about the raw numbers and stuff like that. And that's what it pisses me off. And I, I remember hearing you say this on this podcast at one point, when you turn on CNN and you just see a running tally of how many people have died, you know, and like, yeah, that's really frustrating to me. Or even when, you know, you turn on uh, uh, channel 13 or whatever, and, and they'll be talking about how many more people have died today and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, you know, I, I get it, but it, sometimes it just feels like it's, it's skewing to a narrative. And I, I hate to say that because obviously I'm in the media and I support the media wholeheartedly, but I just have a hard time with that sometimes, man. Cause I'm like, this feels like it's not telling the full story. Well, and I, I hear you there and it's been my frustration with this the whole time is I just want the info and let me figure it out. I don't need somebody to tell me to be scared or, you know, this is nothing because it's clearly something right. right. Um, and I think the, the issue here, because if you look at all the data now, Jared is it in, in you're in the age range, people, your age, you know, from a, from a mortality, from a death standpoint, are at a super, super low risk. That is that is absolutely clear. What we don't know, because it's a novel virus, is are there other um, factors here to mm -hmm. your health that could be long-term problems? And we don't know that because the virus is literally six months old. And so even though you may not die, if you have long-term lung damage, that's a bad thing. And that's not something that you want to just take these risks risks for unnecessarily. However, you can't just be shut in forever either. And so what is the balance? And I think these college campuses are going to fight this this fall is what you'll find. So you have these and you've had increased cases. Now, if you will hear a huge story, if, if God forbid, hopefully this doesn't happen. If there's a college student that dies after getting COVID on one of these campuses, it's going to be a big story mm -hmm. because you hear about all of the quote unquote outliers that are the, the horrible things that happen because that's, that's a, that's a story that people can latch onto. Um, and so, but, but you, it's still not a percentage thing. And I think the data would tell you that by and large, young people are pretty safe from this, but we don't know all the long-term damage. And so it's just a big question mark and you get conflicting stories day in and day out, which doesn't help the thing. I mean, what was it last week? You had the WHO saying, well, you know, there is, isn't really a risk of asymptomatic spread. And then the next day they say, well, actually it might be 40% of the cases. It's like, well, pick one. Like right. we can't keep going back and forth all the time and, it, and expect people to try and understand it. I don't think there's any question that wearing a mask probably helps because you don't, I mean, at least can be somewhat of a control factor, but we still don't know all of the, the details of, of how this all works together. So it's, it is very frustrating. And these colleges and these teams and these leagues are really caught between a rock and a hard place because any decision they make can be seen of weakness or strength one way or another. And so you almost just have to roll the dice, which is a horrible thing to say when lives are involved here. But I, I don't know what else you can do at this point. And we'll just have to see. I think what Iowa State's going to do is try and, you know, mitigate as many risks as they can for young people um, and then be able to trace when these pop-ups happen. The one thing Iowa State has, which this will be maybe getting the news at some point, is because of the vet diagnostic lab Iowa State has for animal testing, they're gonna able to they're going to be able to use some of that 
to get really quick results for COVID testing. They're shifting some of the, the responsibility of that vet lab um, to be able to test incoming students and get results back in just a couple of hours, which will be huge because a lot of other universities won't have that ability because once you know and you know quickly, then you'll be able to trace easier and hopefully be able to mitigate some of those outbreaks. There are some advantages, obviously, it's going to have in this. But, Jared, still so many unknowns. It mm-hmm. just gives me a headache trying to follow it week in and week out. But I, there's two things I, I'm pretty sure. Number one, fall classes w- will happen. A lot of them will be online still. It'll be kind of a combo effort. But I do think there's going to be a college football season. It's just a matter of how many fans. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, the the thing now where everybody's talking about the masks and how if we would have all been wearing masks at the beginning, then it would have stopped like 99% of the cases or something like that. It's just one of those things where I'm like, well, you know what? Uh, we've been messing this thing up from the very beginning. So let's not try and sit here and let's just try and do what best we can moving forward and not. Like, yeah. yeah. Sometimes keep... it, you want to fault and there is plenty of fault to go around. Absolutely. Right. And I think dead on, if we would have been wearing masks the whole time, it's pretty evident for those countries in Asia that have been doing that have nowhere near the issues that the U.S. has, but we didn't, and here we are, and let's try and figure this out going forward. A lot of times is a little bit different than you know, trying to recreate the past. Yeah. All right, man. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to, to do this, and um, hopefully we'll be able to uh, enjoy a beverage together at some point before too long. Yeah, man. Thanks for stepping in. I know it's got to be an honor to be on the Quarantine Podcast. It is, dude. It, uh, it, it really <laughs> is. It ranks up there. Uh, is one of the the great accomplishments of my career, I think. Well, aim aim high, aim higher, and then uh, you know at, at some point we'll have to have our own standalone NBA podcast once the season gets going. Oh yeah, we'll we'll definitely have to do that once uh once they're in the bubble and everything is is starting to get going. All right, all right, thanks, buddy. Thanks everybody for listening, um, and we will talk to you guys again soon.